Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade-filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. Oh, God, I'm William Johnson. <laughs> I, you sound so exasperated for what could possibly be the greatest filmmaker of our time. I would put him top five, no doubt. I would put him I, top I five, I would too. put him one thing. Well, we'll get to it. I mean, obviously, if you're listening to the episode, you know who the fuck we're talking about. But True. There's a label uh, on I, it. I, I would yeah. put him in there because, as you know, when I argue about the Academy Awards for Best Picture, I argue mm-hmm. for not only the art, but also the impact. And I don't think any director has had more artistic sway and cultural cachet yeah. than who? Steven Spielberg. Ah, oh, Steven Spielberg. Yes, Steven Spielberg. Um, uh, one of my favorite Steven Spielberg uh, interactions is in the wonderful, if only because it's so tragic, uh, episode one, the Phantom Menace uh, documentary that came on the DVD called The Beginning. Mm-hmm. where uh george lucas has invited steven spielberg to look at some shit from phantom menace right and he's showing him a battle droid and steven spielberg is being a very good friend as he should be because mm-hmm. him and george lucas are very close and they were responsible for indiana jones together um but you know george lucas is trying trying to explain how the battle droid does and steven's like yeah that's great and then for like 30 seconds straight they go it's gonna be great it's gonna be great it's gonna be great it's gonna be great it's it's the most bizarre friendship conversation you can tell yeah steven's like this is going to suck um the camera's on me and i want the camera's on me and it's my buddy george right and uh and then also while we're talking about funny um uh, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas interactions. There was a wonderful, wonderful back when the Oscars were fun. Mm, um, there was, was there was a time when they had Steven Spielberg, Francis Ford Coppola, and George Lucas uh, presenting an award. Damn! And uh, Spielberg and Francis Ford Coppola come up to the podium, and George is like behind them, like mm-hmm. almost like the little kid being left out, and. Steven's talking about Steve as I know him, me and Steve. Uh, Spielberg's talking about like, oh, when I won this Oscar for this, and you know, Francis Ford Coppola's like, yeah, when I won this Oscar for this, and and then George comes in and goes, hey guys, like I've been nominated for a couple of Oscars, and they're like, oh, nominated, that's cute. Like it was kind of a fun, like little mm-hmm. friends poking fun at each other, kind of, yeah. you know, that'll work. Little jive, and it was just kind of fun, and I think that I think that interaction. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that interaction itself is a great um, example of Spielberg himself. It's like a microcosm of his yeah. career. You can be next to George Lucas, the populist, and you can be next to Francis Ford Coppola, the, I say, some would say a little bit loony, you He's know, loony artist, Arthur, and can fit in with both because he yeah. knows how to play in both fields. and. The fact that he's just so likable. I mean, I, I, have you ever heard a bad Spielberg no, story? I have I mean, not. So closest, I guess the closest bad Spielberg story I have is, and it's not to the Martin Scorsese level of like pissing on comic book movies in terms of mm-hmm. cinema or not cinema, but when when Stephen kind of gives the Netflix and the streaming channels some shit for like not being 
full cinema. I'm like, yeah, hey, I go. remember that. I remember you, that. You I know, remember. like Stephen, you come from TV movies and you understand TV movies, and this is the new platform. This is where the future is going, and these are still films, buddy. They should yeah. have their shot at the Oscars. He turned, where... he turned around on it. He, he did. He did. But for a bit there, we're like, ooh, how to touch are you, Stephen? And for for the populist guy to not get that, I was very surprised. But he, he did well, turn around, thank goodness. And, and this goes to, and I'm going to piss off a lot of people here, but go for uh, it. It's reason, what we're here for. The reason why I think we were so quick to not only forget that that happened, but even if we didn't give Steve O a break, yeah. is because. He doesn't, does he have a very sympathetic and maybe perhaps over emotional bone in his body? Absolutely. He's been very uh, preachy and triacly, you know, throughout his career. But I don't know if I said that word right. But the guy is honest. He's nice. Mm -hmm. He's genuine. um, And he's in touch with people. Now, this is where I'm going to piss people off. We live in this society now. And you'll, you'll see this on this show. When we talk about Spielberg, yeah, we're going to talk about good films. We're going to talk about his bad films. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we we kind of live in this era now where it's an all or nothing thing. Oh, you know, gosh. it's like we, we have talked about that trash or masterpiece. Yeah. Well, so because the problem is, is that I'll be honest with you here. This is not because of the Marvel thing. I have had a tough time, and I know I'm in the minority. Mm-hmm. And I'm tired of saying, well, don't get me wrong. I love Martin Scorsese, but I've actually had more problems with Martin Scorsese in terms of my enjoyment. Can I appreciate it? Yes. It's just something I don't necessarily get. I've had right. more disappointments with Martin Scorsese than positives. Uh, I mean, Taxi Driver, unqualified master- masterpiece. Love sure. it. Uh, Last Temptation of Christ. I adore. King of Comedy, I think is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, Goodfellas is fine. I don't think it's like this amazing thing that everybody says it is. But that's the thing is you can't have that opinion anymore because yeah. some of these guys are untouchable. I don't, and I don't quite understand why Spielberg isn't in that category, but maybe because of that populism. Because if you say anything bad about Scorsese now, it's like, how fucking dare you? He's the master god of yeah. everything. And it's like, no, no, no. I, I, I'm sorry. Like, I just, a lot of his films I just do not connect with. I do not connect with him as a filmmaker. I also don't think his editor is that great either. Agreed. Which, yes. which everybody praises. And I, it, there's, there's almost like these things that you have to, you have to agree with. Right. Mm-hmm. Like remember, I, you might not remember cause you're not a Twitter guy, but like, yeah, this is, this is a Spielberg connection. A guy wrote an article about how he thinks jaws isn't really that great. And people mm. crucified this guy oh, because sure. how can you not like Jaws, right? Yeah. Like, I don't get that level of criticism. No. And I, you think, know, I don't either. Like, and, Twitter does that whole, you know, this is unapologetically the best movie this person's ever done. It. I'm not taking any questions. Like the little, the little Twitter digs that people do to just say a hyperbolic thing and then close off any room for argument is just such a pussy ass Twitter thing to do where I will never be that person. So, right. And, and the reason why I'm tying this in into is the reason why the Netflix thing with Spielberg Mm -hmm. didn't stick is because he doesn't seem like a pretentious gatekeeping douchebag. Like 
Yeah, he and makes all comers, bankrolls people's work. Like he's been a steward as a producer on so many films that aren't his. Oh, They're sure. still great, wonderful films that he's he keeps bread he keeps food on the table for so many people in town. Right. And and I think that's why Scorsese can't escape this. No, Scorsese helps no one. And that's why now Francis Ford Coppola can't escape it. And people want to call like Marvel fans like me big babies because we don't understand cinema. But (laughs) no, I'm sorry. Martin Scorsese has made some bad films. He sure has. Steven Spielberg has made bad films. Like, Uh they're on on the list. You see it in in different ways. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I understand. Like, if you go to an art gallery, right? Uh huh. And they're having a special on <laughs> not a special, but whatever. They're yeah, having yeah. they're having like a an event for this one artist, right? It's a sure, display like, they're traveling around the country. Sure. A feature. Yeah. Like I'm guaranteeing you, let's say there's 17 paintings in there, right? Mm-hmm. By this person. Are you gonna think all 17 are just amazing works of art? There's probably gonna be a dud in there somewhere uh, or something that doesn't blow if, your mind. If you're if you're making the bridge to the like to what you're saying earlier of like the uh, people who are now perceived whether whether it's the letterbox crowd the imdb crowd the the film bro crowd you're right there are some people who are that are made to be by fanboys and toxic fans untouchable where you can't say a bad thing about any of their works i think i know where you're going and And i I, i'm you know me with masterpieces no one has 17 fucking masterpieces right and so i i don't understand why it gets to this point where there's some directors that you can't touch and and I'm tying this all into Spielberg because I think you and I are both agreeing he's probably, if not the greatest, one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. I, I, I because of the crossover successes, mm-hmm. the artistic, whatever you want to call it, the artistic slash prestige ones, and then of course the populist stuff, which is unquestioned. Yeah. Um. Or here's the point that I think makes because he has both. Right. I, I he's he's a Mount Rushmore guy for me uh, in terms of just like yeah. the one of the four best people you could ever say played the game. Mm-hmm. And it, and the, here's the thing, like what makes him so good to me where you he could he can elevate that legend higher is that he's made populist stuff that is so good mm-hmm. that it is now prestige too. You know, like it, yep. like yep. it jaw on. Yes. On paper, Jaws is a silly ass B movie. You know, but but what he did to it at the time it came out and what it did to change the genre, start summer blockbusters. It now has to be not just a blockbuster. It is now a prestige piece of the history of the media. Yeah, it's he's got those. It's weird as it, well as he's got Schindler's List. And Munich, yeah, and it's he's got both. He's got just amazing stuff. See, that's what's weird, too, because. And I, I say this almost, it's almost antithetical to what I was saying, but yeah, you are yeah. right. There there are a couple of Spielberg films that are seen as that untouchable. We talked about uh-huh. Jaws. Like, I'm going to give you some hot takes from Spielberg okay. for me. I cannot stand Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I cannot I, stand I can it. take or leave it. I could take or leave it. I, I, I respect what it is, but I'm not putting it back in for rewatches. Anything. Yeah, I... It annoys me. It gives me a headache. It's yeah. I oh, find it okay. obnoxious. Uh-huh. I find it too long. But oh, yes. that's yes, one that that is one. Uh, so I'll give Spielberg that. That is one mm-hmm. where people are just like, yeah, you can't hate that movie. You can't hate Jaws. You can't hate yeah. Close Encounters. Those are classics. Yeah. You know, but we I, lose that ability now. I think because Spielberg has made so many films, and uh, 
he has gone through a very dry period. I think, I think you we, and I agree. About on the show. Yeah. yeah. I think you and I agree that, um, uh, well, it's tough because I, I feel like it's the last 15 years. I feel like Munich was the last time okay, at least before was... West Side Story, but okay. West Side Story for him to take on. We've said it on our show. Find the show um, for him to take a musical for the first time north of mm-hmm. 75 years old and put all of his skills and chops and team into it and make it as pristine as he made it. That's an accomplishment on another level. But well, that's yeah. the last time for me. That's the first time he challenged himself on something different or, or just, I, just since Munich, that's 15 years from me. I will Everything go, in there is pedestrian. I will go for my first pick actually. And I'll, I'll Ooh, go this. Go. I have the chronological list here, but yes, after catch me, if you can, which I think is one of his greatest films. I, I do agree. That. Um, I, I answered a Twitter poll today of his greatest 21st century film. I said, catch me if you can. Now here is the list of films since Catch Me If You Can was what, 2002? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, here's the list. Uh, the Terminal. Wow. War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. Munich. Mm-hmm. A great film. Yeah. Uh, Crystal Skull. Ooh, uh, here we go. Tintin. Yeah. Uh, a fun passion project that missed. Yep. Right. War Horse, which is actually my first pick, and I'll get to that in a second. Ooh, I'll share, um, share some love with you when you get there. Uh, Lincoln. Uh, yeah, yeah. Bridge of Spies. Ooh. BFG. Turd. The only Spielberg film I have not seen. Uh, the Post. Two things. Ready Player One. Yeah, we're different there, and we know we are. Uh, which I think is his worst film and an abomination. And Ooh. then uh, West Side Story. So, okay. yes, I think even though Munich and Warhorse are in there, that mm-hmm. is two out of what? Uh, Eight, nine. Twelve. Films. Oh, wow. two, out of, two out of well if we don't count west side story yeah because I, I i've always said and i maintain that west side story is top five spielberg which people think i'm crazy for but i do that's ballsy um, that is 11 films of which we can argue uh two are great uh, mm-hmm. munich i think is a great film yeah like like you said the last time he challenged himself mm-hmm. um i'm gonna go warhorse as my first pick for the deep cuts and one I know that you like, but also one that I will say he did take risks on because he, the, the problem with the film, okay. I'll, give, I'll give the film this is it does try to do too much. It, it does not stay in a lane. And that is okay. a major problem because um, I, I can't remember who told me this on Facebook, but it made me laugh because it was so true. It was like, one second you got like a duck chasing people <laughs> with hokey meat, like boop, 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 boop. And, you yeah. know, and then the next you've got like a horse trapped in barbed wire and like, oh yeah, children being shot. And mm-hmm. like, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't pick a lane. I don't blame that on Spielberg. Um, no. I, bl- I blame that more on the writing. Um, it was written by Lee Hall, Richard Curtis. Yeah. And they're which explains a, ch- a lot. And, and they're and taking like, a children's book and trying to expand it almost polar express style where it's not a very long story right? that you right. now are trying to inflate to feature length. But I will say in terms of telling a very, you have to admit it's a very unorthodox story for him to tell as a Definitely. populist. Um, oh yeah. 
I mean, at, at one point, I mean, the first 45 minutes of the film, I mean, you, you actually have no dialogue. It's just a horse and a kid talking, mm-hmm. you know, uh, not even the horse talking. It's just, uh, you know, <laughs> right. Um, so there is. And, and, and the uh, as always, I read somewhere, so I, I can't give credit to this either. OK, but somebody said I think it was on Twitter somewhere. And if, if you're listening to the show, please credit yourself. But somebody said that Spielberg has never mailed it in. He's made bad movies, but he has never, he has never, ever just said, okay, I'm going to shoot it this way. Like, um, Mm -hmm. because even I think some of his worst films, like The Lost World and Ready Player One and a couple other films that I don't like that he did, um, Uh have something dynamic about them physically yeah. and visually and warhorse is insane like warhorse has gorgeous film i mean you've got like that gritty realism of like say yep. private ryan you've got some throwbacks to like those old you know uh specter vision mm-hmm. you know uh technicolor 50s westerns you've oh yeah got... you got the don ford silhouettes going at the end yeah, that final scene the music swells kid yeah. comes home to his dad what a what a great oh yeah what a capper it's a gorgeous film to watch. It is kind of tonally a headache. But I still gave it four, and you gave it five on Letterboxd. I did. So. I, I adored it the year it came out. And, so, uh, yeah. It, it, it does, you're right. It does count as a risk because here he is you know, casting a, a feature film debut unknown in Jeremy Irvine mm-hmm. and doing a pretty non-star cast at all. I mean, this was right. Hiddleston and Cumberbatch before their Marvel stuff. Yep. Or or yeah. right, I guess it would be the same year Thor dropped for Hiddleston, but even mm-hmm. still, like it was yeah, a, 2011. Was, yeah. Avengers was the next year, so I think mm-hmm. Thor was maybe a little bit earlier. I'm not Thor sure. might have been, oh, maybe the year before, the summer of 2010, right? Perhaps. I'm not. Yeah, I'm yeah, ex- yeah. I am an MCU no, um, shill, but not an expert in chronology, so. <laughs> but no, um, I, I've I've read the, I've done, well, mm-hmm. you know me, I do the audiobooks. I'm, I've done the audiobook mm-hmm. of this of this story and mm-hmm. this um the audiobook is completely horse and it, it it is um all internal monologue of what the horse is going through and feeling and so for spielberg to and his screenwriters i don't know it's again messy but to take all that and remove all any narration and just let the horse and the scene and the framing of it tell its story body language situation moments ahead moments forward and that like you said almost in a dialogue list in long dialogue with stretches is wonderful and you always hear the old classic hollywood challenge of um shooting with animals and shooting with kids are the two hardest things you'll ever do so (laughs) and and he you know he went through 5800 extras and 300 horses making this movie and and Mm -hmm. i get why and because it it had to be arduous and difficult to just kind of like get it to do what you want it to do. But like you said, Spielberg never goes half-assed because while he's trying to get this very unique horse shot, a thousand and one things are going on behind it. Uh, uh, An army is moving behind the screen. The forest is moving here. He's plotting through mud. There's tanks, there's sound like Mm. he's always, and of course his, Longtime collaborators are all still there. Michael Kahn still editing. Janusz Kaminski's shooting the hell out of it in gorgeousness. Mm-hmm. And that Williams score. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm yeah. If I wasn't, if you weren't making this pick, I was, and I, I adore well, it. And, I mean, and you... as a, as a children's, and I know it's a little darker, but as a, as a mid children's teens fairy tale, there's mm-hmm. a place for this, you know? And I know sure. it's antiquated as can be, but it, to me, like the idea of a horse 
being as important as like your first car would be nowadays. Like if you can channel that a whole life, that whole idea of attachment that you have to your first means of, of, of world expanding transportation, do that. If you can do that the way you do with cars, do that to a horse and you'll get it. And there's the power of that is pretty strong. So would you amend your statement and say that Munich was not the last time you took risks? I guess I have to, I mean, before West side. Yeah. Um, Although at the same time, like, as I, this is not, well, I guess when I, I guess when I say risk is like R rated hard R stuff when he's been, I mean, I'm not saying Warhorse is ET too, but like right. you, you have a sentimental family based story right, right. with a creature slash animal where this isn't out of the realm of things he can do. And of course you're in doing a war period thing and he's done war movies like crazy where this yeah. isn't a stretch for him. Whereas Munich, to kind of okay you know to squelch yourself from some action focus on hard character dynamics and kind of go hard r that to me was more of a challenge than this one yeah and you know what uh this is know. an achievement more than it is a challenge okay can i, I say you. it like that no that makes sense uh, okay, I, can, okay. I can i can buy that um you know and and just one more thing on war horse yeah you know i think that other than i think the tv movie something evil uh you know uh and I guess you could classify Jaws as a horror film, but um, you know Spielberg in Another Life would have been n- not just the greatest director, but probably the greatest horror director. I mean, a lot of his films, yeah. When you look at stuff, I mean, there's there's sequences in ET that oh, are sure. haunting. Temple of Doom is a nightmare fest at times. Lost um, World is a is what's the body count in that movie? Well, and Jurassic yeah. Park too is sure. I mean, I showed my. I think at the time she was 10. I mean, she was mm-hmm. so terrified. Jurassic Park. There's the slave ship scenes in Amistad. Ooh, um, and stuff, and, yeah. And, and World of Worlds, which I think is a mediocre film, mm-hmm. has two or three moments of pure terror in it. That, yeah. Like, really, like, Absolutely. shake me. But um, I bring it up because War Horse is the same way. It's like there are a couple sequences in War Horse. Um, there's two in particular. There's one where the horse has been, like, carrying tanks around yeah and it's kind of like the horse is like full of mud and blood Mm -hmm. and like it's it's rainy and gray and it's hauling like this tank you know this world war one era tank and then the scene with the barbed wire where the horse is wrapped up in barbed wire i mean that is some gruesome nightmare fuel kind of shit like Mm -hmm. like i still get like it it's hard to explain because it's not like scary like you know in a horror sense but it's so disturbing. Like when I think mm-hmm. back on that image of that horse just completely wrapped and stuck in, yeah. in barbed wire, it's just haunting. It's just well, horrifying. There's something about like the, you know, man's um, man's connection to domesticated animals. You know, like if you're a and I'm not a pet person because mm-hmm. my wife's allergic. But if I had, if I could, I would be a dog guy. Where I, mm-hmm. if I. I watch I watch Marley me and I ball my eyes out like everybody else where like you, you the affinity that people have for that you feel bad and the fact that there's a capacity you have a capacity for that empathy and the viewers that appreciate this movie mm-hmm. have that same capacity but I know plenty of people are like oh it's a fucking horse who cares you know and they're they're yeah. they'll they'll never get it and that's a shame on them so yeah for sure yeah well before we get to our next round of picks uh let us uh break for a short announcement from our non-corporate partners and friends we know you've been scared watching horror movies by yourself well now you don't have to 
hang out with ruminations of Red Rum. All things horror, from movies to the latest spooky games we've played. Come hang out, but hurry. The killer's behind you! All right, folks, welcome back to our Steven Spielberg deep cut. Uh, Will, or is it my, you did War Horse and I piled on, so want me to throw one out there? Um, Something that I don't think Steven gets enough credit for is, well, I I believe he always makes affable, affable is the word I'll put there, characters where Mm. even in his intense action movies and, of course, cuddly things like E.T. and even War Horse, um, he makes affable characters that, you can identify with even with their quirks or even with their little, you know, their uniqueness. They're still lovable people. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't get me wrong. He can make some villains and some, and some, and some, of course, some heroic, amazing people. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't think he gets enough credit for uh, his ability to throw in some humor and affableness into what he's never really shown that as much at full strength where my pick is going to be the terminal where I, oh, I enjoy where he just, like take Spielberg's chops and his one sense of wonder and apply it to not just the fish out of water thing, but what, what grows to become a romantic comedy. And I, I don't know if you've ever seen Spielberg make a wrote, like I'm trying to think I'm going down. Now I got to make me go to the list. I mean, his most romantic film. I don't know. I mean, I love the Indian Marion stuff from Raiders of Lost Ark. And so there's snippets and parts. And I guess West Side Story counts as a romantic film, but like, um, I don't know if he's got a true, like really cute romantic movie Um, until you get to the terminal. And I always would probably be sure. A throwback to, I mean, it's a ghost story, but yeah, it, it is a, remake i believe of a romantic sure you know dramedy from the 40s yeah so but yeah i know what you mean it's 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 not uh it's not like the traditional no and and, and, or whatever and not that this is the traditional rom-com either but no no. but i love how it gets there and 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 includes Mm -hmm. that factor and i know People can go like, oh, man, it does Tom Hanks and Catherine Zeta-Jones play much of a matching couple of chemistry. But that's kind of the fun part to it is where that's Hanks kind of doing it. You know, Hanks can do everything where he can charm. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh, you can charm your pants off. So and of course, Catherine Zeta-Jones is gorgeous where. Yes, please. So she was in the zone at that point, too. Yeah, that was just won an Oscar a couple Mm -hmm. years previous. Uh, Yeah, two years previous. I mean, she was in the zone. Um, but uh yeah like i would love to see more of like maybe and maybe we'll get that with with his age where i'm not saying he'll grow, get soft you know and i think we already talked about this period where he maybe went soft in terms of histrionics and things like that but i would love to see spielberg make a full-on you know i don't it doesn't even need to be a screwball 1930s comedy just a romantic God, comedy. tried I that once I know it's not good. Um, no, let me tell uh, the terminal. Uh, yeah. I'm not a hater of it. I gave it three and a half stars. Um, what I enjoyed about it the most was that every time you thought it was going to take a conventional turn, it did something a little different. And I exactly will appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, I mean, it looks gorgeous. It's mm-hmm. perfectly fine. I, I, I mean, like yeah, I said, three and a half to be. me is, is, uh, yeah, I, I don't mind the term. Now I will compare it to some of his later work. Okay. Uh, Cause I think we're in agreement here that this is post catch me if you can. And there's very few, uh-huh. you know, three of 12, you know, if we count West side story that are, you know, uh, 
you know, Munich war horse and West side story amongst those. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of filler in between. Um, what you are liking about the terminal. I think he tries to do three times. Okay. Much later. Um, and of course they're all best picture nominees. And I think of them as all very weak best picture nominees, Lincoln bridge of spies and the post. Yeah. Now, See, well, I like what you were saying about the terminal where it's kind of like, it is like a romantic comedy, but it isn't. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of a focus, a little bit more focus on realistic details. Yeah. Immigrant, and, and, immigrant and he, story, modern world. Yeah. Yeah. And he had this problem with Amistad too, but, um, Lincoln Bridges Spines in the Post are so almost so hyper focused on the minutia of it, like trying to tell a different side of the story. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the strengths of Lincoln are when you get to see Lincoln, like, you know, get down on the floor and play with his kid, like mm-hmm. presidential movies forever. They're always so dignified and statuesque, you know, it True. was nice to see Lincoln as Especially a human with that guy, you know, man, right. Lincoln, you know, but also it focused so much on like, how laws are passed and shit like that, mm. that it was like, okay, enough. I get it. You yeah. know, Br- bridge of spies was so into the minutia of law and the cold war that it mm-hmm. made it not fun. I and the post was so much like, this is how newspapers are made. You know, like it was very like, mm-hmm. but not trying to sell it like, a, yeah. you know, what well, that movie, story. that movie didn't have a chance two years after spotlight won best picture. Like you just had yeah, yeah. the, the best journalism movie in a generation. And then you try yeah. to make the post good luck. Yeah, and it. I think that's where Spielberg's um, tendencies. That's a good word for uh, it. Sometimes hurt him because, yeah, when the post came out, because Spotlight is not a very showy film. I, no. I'm not. A, I'm not as big on it as you are, but I mean, I obviously recognize it for the quality that it is. Yeah, it, it had more of a. Um, like I almost feel like I know it's not the case because it was shot in a lot of different places, but mm-hmm. I almost feel like Spotlight is something that you could put on stage. Like sure, you could just have the characters, yeah, uh, you know, on stage doing the thing, their interviews and, and their research in the places they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's it's kind of kind of a more of an academic gritty feel to it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say gritty, but it, it just no. it, it feels more like like even though it's Rachel McAdams, like I feel like yeah. I would know, I would, I would, oh, and it's Mark Ruffalo who's also super sexy, but uh, like like I yeah. feel like I believe they are these characters. Like I would see them on the street and not be like, Oh, that's a movie star. I'd be like, Oh, that's right. the guy who writes for the newspaper. Yeah. It, it's, it's hard to find that balance where you, you can talk about something so impactful, but make it feel real, like on a level, yeah. you know? And, and I like, I, what, I like your word with showy where spotlight, other than maybe Ruffalo's like big breakdown speech where he, right. he's got that one speech where he kind of loses it a little bit in terms of his character's anger and has a bit of a diatribe, but that's, that's it from showy parts where, yeah, yeah. And, and, and which, which means you've got a movie that's not trying to sugarcoat a damn thing, especially for something as evil as what they're depicting. You get to the post yeah, and everything is shined up gorgeous and pretty if, and perfect. Cause it's if, Spielberg. Yeah. If you guys have letterbox right now, if you pull up the post, the picture. Yeah. And I hate to, I'm not talking shit about Spielberg, but went mm-hmm. after spotlight and then you get that spielberg mentality and that, that frankly was my fear with west side too before i saw it yeah like if you, if you look at the main picture like I, do you have it pulled up 
I mean, uh, I do, I, I do. It, it looks so Photoshop it, fake or the, it's, the, yeah. it's the picture of all of them, I assume, staring at a TV, and it, mm-hmm. you know, like Tom Hanks has this very stern look on his face. Everyone's yeah. got like perfect costumes. You got Meryl Streep. It it almost has yeah, Tracy Lance, Bob Odenkirk. You got a cool cast there. Yeah, but, yeah. but it's it's almost kind of like I think the reason why a lot of like black and white and older films from the 40s and 50s and stuff like that you know fall out of favor with modern audiences is because they do kind of have that showiness mm-hmm. of like it's humphrey bogart and charles Tintestin and you yeah. know like it has everybody like this like especially compared to spotlight and and, and mm-hmm. obviously i mean don't get me wrong bradley whitford and oh a lot of these cl- actors a class of actors there for sure yeah it just it feels like you know, we, we, we're going to get the biggest names and make this as flashy yeah. as possible. See that you know to I mean? me, well, the post to me, you're saying like you can picture spotlight being a stage play because you have big actors hitting big marks and having their little speeches and moments. The post to me feels like a more cliche thing that would play yes. equally on the stage than even spotlight spotlight would have a gr- you said grittiness, but it has a darkness, which which is a harder sell on stage. Whereas this would be like Tom Hanks would enter a scene and everyone would clap to to wait yeah. to wait for him to deliver his wonderful line of wit and dialogue, and then exit scene. Tom, everyone thank Tom for being here. Like it would be in and out, you know, orchestrated and structured to manufacture the moments they think they can have. You know, oh, yeah, and it's yeah. the B story of like. And that's the other thing about the post is the tiptoe before the real thing that matters. Like people kept going, oh, this is a, this could be a prequel to all the presidents. Men. I'm like, please, not even close. Right. Like, I know it's supposed to plug right in in a way, but like it, it could not work. It, it, it almost feels old fashioned. And, and that's not True. to say bad. It no. just means like, yeah, when you have a spotlight that tells filmmakers, like, yeah, like when you look at those pictures of the post or you look at Bridges Spies, it has like almost too clean of a quality. Mm hmm. To make it, but I guess my point was is that the term what the terminal does, and this has always been Spielberg's problem, is that not always his problem, but yeah. when he has a tendency, fa- you say. when he has failed, it is usually because he is overdoing a trope or something. I mean, mm-hmm. like for instance, like uh, though these people are wrong, uh, you know, people <laughs> saying that the end of AI is too sentimental. Which, in fact, it's not. It's extremely pitch black dark. But I agree. You know, but uh, you know, there's moments throughout a lot of these films that he's made where a little bit over sentimentality. You know, mm-hmm. relying on that John Williams score to manipulate you a little too much. That's true. That's true. Um, and so he has that problem, and I think that's the thing too. I think the post has that kind of like fifties, you know, forties or fifties. Yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of overdramatics, melodramatics mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. kind of dull the suspense of it, you know? I agree. I mean, because you're right. I mean, even in Warhorse, which I we praised, mm-hmm. I never got, and I definitely never got it in anything up to West Side Story, like Bridge of Spies, Post, Lincoln, okay. Player One, and stuff, is that tension. Like, there's that scene, there's a couple scenes in Munich where you're like, you're literally, like, to, to have a cliche, like, you're literally gripping the armrest because Absolutely. you're like, holy shit, is that bomb going to go off? Holy fuck, yeah. what's going to happen? Uh, that's something he's struggled to until until the brawl scene in West Side Story 
mm-hmm. uh, where one of the characters dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the concluding scene in that film, it's it's been a long, it's probably been since Munich where I felt any kind of tension or pressure. Yeah, like a visceral tension. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and the post could have tension because like people are waiting for the deadline or are they going to make it? And... You know what? I'll call those sentimental scares. Okay, you have these little enough. worries. You know, like uh, like Terminal. Oh, gosh, is he going to make it? How's this country doing? Like, wait for the big decision. Or even Lincoln, like, ooh, will the law pass? We all know the law passes, but ooh, I'm going to manufacture and squeeze you just a little bit to help you be sentimental and get your empathy engines going. And you're right, John Williams helps out a lot with that. And that's the place where I think he does that. He's like, he, and I, he's, it's a, um, it's a, it's a gift and a curse at the same time for him. Where like, the fact that he can, manufacture what he manufactures mm-hmm. in so many different ways and of course with pristine craft mm-hmm. he's a master at it he, he's a master yeah. of emotional of building emotional moments little climaxes all over the place in his films but at the same time he can get predictable and it can be a tendency like you're talking about and it can bring him down we're like oh wait i just got i got played by spielberg again didn't i to, to like this yep. and feel for that and I would I would attribute it in the horror realm of like the cat jump scare. Oh, yep. Like I you agree. know, like where someone needs a scare, mm-hmm. you know, in a in a pretty rudimentary plot. So somebody opens up a door and a cat jumps out. You know, like yeah. it's that's the emotional version of that. Where it's kind of like, okay, we got to have Tom Hanks be uh, stressed out about something real quick, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. And I mean, or the, the imagine the ticking clock of like help or the the relief arrives right at the exact needed time you're like he can build a clock to those things almost Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, exactly exactly now um if i may go with my next pick please um, do which i will say is the complete opposite of that it was actually um a film that like if i told you was his first feature film feature Mm -hmm. actual studio backed feature film uh you would be like no way because it has almost the perfect you know camera you know manipulation and this the the eye the cinematic eye was there from the beginning it's not something he developed he just had it mm-hmm. and that's that would be 1974's the sugarland express yeah with goldie hahn um and william atherton uh just mm-hmm. just this amazing chase film you know where not much is going on in terms of like plot and story it's mostly you're mm-hmm. following around these you know this man who escaped prison and you know his girlfriend is helping him drive around and then of course yeah. kind of like in a dog day afternoon kind of thing it's the people start cheering for them you know and it's this cross-country chase but his ability to make that interesting and make mm-hmm. it engaging and just some of the stuff he does with the camera like like i said for a first time i mean obviously he had been cutting his teeth in tv and he made yeah. duel he made duel for god's sake so uh-huh. uh you know but you know to come out get a feature film done to be released in theaters and have it have the competence of sugarland express is pretty pretty insane and and that's why and but i don't think a lot of people know that i think a lot of people think and this uh-huh. isn't anybody's fault that jaws is his first film and yeah people go he made jaws right after good. but he made this little pseudo crime chase film, you know, right before it. And it mm-hmm. was just this 
cute. I mean, it's it's. I would say it's inconsequential. It's not like that's a good word for it. It's not like you have to watch the Sugarland Express to understand how Spielberg is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's I mean, that kind of origin story, right? I mean, but it's yeah. it, it is a if we're going deep cuts. I mean, if you want to mm-hmm. see that Spielberg had it had it from the beginning, mm-hmm. watch Sugarland Express's first feature film. You know, and it's it's uh it's it's just technically marvelous and um fun and it's not too there another another thing and I, it sounds like we're talking so much shit about spielberg ah, we're, no. we're really not but and the reason why i don't like close encounters is because he had a tendency as well to equate comedy with loudness um like i i kind of feel like you know temple of doom like Kate Capshaw, the the louder she is, the funnier it is, right? When that's definitely not the case. Or um 1941 is just endless pratfalls and explosions mm-hmm. and loud stuff. And like I said, Cl- uh, Close Encounters is just so much screaming in that movie, it drives me up the wall. Yeah. Sugarland Express has perfect balance there where there, there's a lot of moments of Goldie Hawn screaming and stuff, but it never tips it over the edge. Uh it's almost like because it's his first film, like you can see those tendencies he's going to grow later, which is why mm-hmm. it's a fun little deep cut because it's like, oh, I can see how he did Indiana Jones from this or how he right, did Jurassic right. Park from this camera move. Oh, I can see why he has people screaming nonstop and <laughs> close encounters okay. because of this scene. Like it's almost, it's almost like even though it's a truly a Spielberg film, it's almost like when you look at it in hindsight, it's almost kind of like this origin film of the Spielberg experience. It, it kind of has almost everything mm. that he becomes known for, but in a very small scale, like I said, little action dramedy way. So I, 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 like I said, inconsequential, but perhaps something that is a nice little find. If you're looking for a little Spielberg, itch, yeah. um, classic Spielberg itch. Uh, and also if you're a completist, you want right. to see it because it's, it's an interesting film. Well, I only have one pick left because I feel like everything else we is known in terms of its greatness. Like if sure. people can look up my letterbox and see my my ranked list where my top 10 is. Shen, I mean, and I try to put the film critic hat on. So I'm going best here. Right. Um, I go Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, Jurassic mm-hmm. Park, E.T., uh, Last Crusade, Jaws, mm-hmm. Lost Ark. Um Catch me if you can. West Side Story is nine and Minority Report is 10. But I tell you what, I'm super tempted because I always love Warhorse so much to get that two spots Ooh. higher to, to 10. I have it at 12 and Munich's at 11. But um, my last pick is um, I'm kind of going to the I guess I have to call it a guilty pleasure because I look at that Rotten Tomatoes score of 29 percent. And I'm like, but I want this might be the Spielberg film I watched. I've watched the most. Like okay. in terms of if I were to count childhood rewatches and all that, okay, like I think no I one's going to, no one's going to watch Jaws. And I, I didn't see Jurassic Park endless, endlessly and, and ET endlessly, but I watched the fuck out of hook in 1990. Okay, so I knew you were going to hook. Cause yeah, we're, we're close to same not, age. We're not too far apart. In yeah. Age. Um, so yeah, I, th- that was a huge childhood one for me, uh, but I'll let you speak on it first before I. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm. 
Rotten Tomatoes has it at 29%. The critic, I know the critics consensus says the look of hook is lively indeed, but Steven Spielberg directs on autopilot here, giving in too quickly to his sentimental syrupy qualities. And I'm like, no way. Like this is high adventure made with high adventure. And still the darkness of mean ass dad who grew up and forgot himself. Like the, the, I watched it recently with some coworkers at school. Cause we were just screwing around putting a movie on, on a professional development day. And like the first 15 as, minutes as, of that movie, as us teachers do when it's professional yeah, totally. development, we watch movies and shit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> we're honing our craft parents and children. Um, but no, the first 15 minutes of Hook, like right when his kids get kidnapped, also kind of like what Spielberg does, like there's it's some scary shit for a second there. And then like the whole Peter Banyan or whatever his name is, like he he's a, he's a dick and he really has lost his way. And it's a different thing than you get from from Robin Williams, who's normally, of course, a warm and welcoming and amazing person. Yeah. So if, to see him play a jerk for a good 15 minutes and to watch Maggie Smith kind of bounce off of him and with the worry of like, oh, gosh, I've really lost him, but I need him not to be lost because he, he now he needs to go rescue his kids. And then, of course, when the adventure ensues and you go to Neverland, oh, my gosh, I mean, practical effects, practical sets, uh, gorgeous, fun, amazing ways of 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 elevating that silly fairy tale into what what would it be if it was older you know and i think we've all kind of had that wish fulfillment as kids of like now that we're adults especially like what would what would it be like if we had a 60 year old superman or a 60 year old batman like what would it like all what would all of our childhood heroes be like when they're older and we got a taste of that with hook and and man last last piece i'll say and pass it to you is dustin hoffman is a richly delicious villain and I, a villain who can wink at that camera and know he's playing a villain, but man, oh man, from a, you know, putting on that wig and putting on that makeup and, 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 and just acting through that guys, he's deliciously evil and still fun at the same time. Oh man. He's so good. And a throw out to Bob Hoskins too. Who makes oh, a great, a fun great part. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good part. Um, what I will say about hook, I haven't seen it in long time. I mean, I mean, I am tempted to say I haven't seen it since VHS. Like, uh, yeah. Re- released on VHS. I, all I will say, because I do have very vivid memories of seeing it in the theater. I, I probably saw it in the theater three times. Okay. Um, so I was in it, you know, and I think it's one of those things as a kid. Also, I was nine. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't quite have the film education that I had. Mm-hmm. I will say that even though I was like, I'm enjoying this, right? Like there was that question of, am I enjoying this? And it probably was the first film I'd ever seen where, cause you know, you, you're at a certain age where you just go see the best of the best or just kids stuff. And yeah, you know, there's really no misses, you know, you're not yeah, like an I adult agree. who's like, I'm going to give this a try. Oh, that sucked. Um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. so kids are easy to please. And we, yeah. we, I miss those days where we're so easy to please. What I will say about hook is it is the first film that I can remember watching where I was like, something is off. I couldn't explain mm-hmm. it. My young brain couldn't comprehend it. Didn't know enough about film language or anything. Yeah. But it was one of the first times where I was like, huh? This doesn't feel right. Like I okay. could tell something wasn't right. Now I would 
And, and it surprises me because my memories of Hook are, like I said, quite mm-hmm. quite fond. I have good fond memories of Hook. Um, I, I have heard rumblings that it was, quote unquote, bad. Yeah. Um, but because I haven't really paid attention to it in over two decades um, or more, <laughs> I... Mm-hmm. I guess I just missed out on the fact that it was this abomination or something, you know, like I, I I didn't know it was that big of a a flop or a failure or whatever. Um, I mean, it made money. It made 160 million in its day. That's plenty, you know? Yeah. I I don't, uh, I I will never, even in my nine year old memory, Mm -hmm. I'll even give you a 10 if I watch it on VHS. Yeah. Um, never in my wildest dreams would I ever think that, Spielberg uh, would direct anything on autopilot, especially Hook. Completely like, agree. I still remember. Craft it the, takes to make all that action. Yeah. yeah, I still remember the set pieces of Hook in my head. Like, oh, I, yeah. and this is—I mean, I'm 39 now. Mm-hmm. This is, this is but like the years, like years the later, food, right? the food reveal with your imagination, and uh, mm-hmm. oh, there's yeah. so many scenes. And, yeah. and, and what's his name dying? Rufio, Rufio. dying. Oh, Rufio. Yeah, yeah, Crusher. Yeah, I mean it's you can't be an autopilot if you have you can if there's a film that you haven't watched in 30 years that still has mm-hmm. staying power in your brain so i agree so it, it has those positives i remember yeah. being wowed by the physical parts of it but i i do remember being the first film that my young brain was like hmm, something's off here i don't like and i can't okay. explain what it is i would like to rewatch it and see if i know what it is yeah but i wonder if hindsight no now knowing that there's this backlash to it or Mm -hmm. knowing knowing more about you know films going over budget or you know maybe more about spielberg and and his tendencies you know for sentimentality every now and then um it it does make me wonder if i'm able to watch it purely as a film and not have it colored by either childhood memories or current takes on it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i do know what you mean um but I, I do I do have a question for you. Okay. Um, to wrap this up. Um, yeah. Because, like I said, no director is perfect. I We've agree. mentioned films we haven't liked. Yeah. What do you think? And this is tough. This is tough because, I mean, has he made bad films in the sense of like they didn't work? Uh, yes, but I don't think he's ever made a truly awful film. What yeah. What do you think is his worst film? I, I got a coin toss between the BFG and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Um, and I, if I okay. look, I mean, in terms of my website's history, in terms of doing mm-hmm. reviews and, and stars and the full journalism thing, I gave BFG a one star review. Wow. Um, a couple of years. Maybe the it was one, one film I haven't seen. Yeah. His. And uh, it's just, I, um, it's just a weird little uneven mess where, and it, it, here we go, Mark Rylance. So fuck get ready Mark to Rylance. fuck Mark Rylance is the show's theme. And, and he just does not engage or sell me as the main, as the, as the diffident little weird main character mm. dude where I, I, he, he's such a blank actor mm-hmm. where any, any endearing quality I'm that, that, is supposed to kind of grab me just bounces right off me because it's Mark Rylance and he's just unengaging. Um, but but I, same thing though, like he never goes half ass where the craft of it is gorgeous. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, having Roald Dahl's, you know, commitment to the weirdness of some of that. Cause there's like this, like 
fart bubble soda that they drink later. And there's like a full flatulence in the room scene. And like, it's still done with like cuteness and grace to a degree, but it's still just a mess where let Tim Burton make those shitty movies instead of you, Steven, like get out of here with the Roald Dahl stuff. And then yeah, kingdom of the crystal skull is like that. It's, it's like the way you talk about star Wars. Like you, you have these, like the, the what you talk about with the Abrams or whatever we're going to call the sequel trilogy, where mm. like you 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 un you unwrapped a perfect bow, you know, because Last Crusade is perfect, perfect it's, ending right off in the sunset. That's a top five for me. Ah, oh, so good. Gilbert. So to undo th- and now, don't get me wrong. I like we talked about. Like I talked about earlier when it comes to like, what would your heroes be like older? And I'm sure all of us because of how. Uh, wonderful Harrison Ford has always aged to become and still is like mm-hmm. to be able to get a chance to revisit that kind of classic character. Like, what would that be like older? There's dream fulfillment there. Same way we had a a taste of it with the Han Solo stuff in Star Wars. Now, again, used as it was and created as it was, it's the hard part. But I watched Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and like you brought back Indiana Jones for that. For an Area 51 weird ass, like the ending just botches it all to me. Like, I don't mind the Mayan jungle stuff. I don't mind. I don't even mind Shia LaBeouf doing what would be a 50s guy, like the whole, you know, Brando Wild One thing. And, and of course, Kate Blanchett goes all in for a crazy villain ass. But, and any excuse to bring back Marion is great. But, like, I, to do all of that with, like the, the the fucking nuclear refrigerator and then the sure. the ending with the dumbass alien like that nah like don't bring him back that's the toy story 4 of Indiana Jones movies i what's you know i assume you have an answer too what's your worst well no first just about crystal skull i will say okay. this um you know i was showing my daughter the indiana jones and i said i'm going to show the first three cuz <laughs> yeah. you know i remember Taking my mom to see Crystal Skull, and I was so excited because we got another Harrison Ford movie. Yep, I was hyped, man. I mean, because uh-huh. I remember seeing Last Crusade when I was five or six with my mom and just having a blast, and it still has imprints in my head, you know? Mm-hmm. So I thought this will be a nice return. And, and I saw it in the theater and thought it was awful. Yeah. So when I was rewatching with my, my kid, I was watching the first three. You know, she asked about it, and I said, eh, we don't talk about that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? I do think there is kind of a uh what do they call it? Uh not tunnel vision, but uh echo chamber. Okay. With things. I think when things start catching on that something's bad or great or great or a masterpiece or whatever. That or uh the worst film ever made or whatever. Yeah. I think I think there's piling on. I think it gets piled on. Yeah. So I, I watched it with her with hesitation no expectations and mm-hmm. i ended up giving it three stars and that's okay and that's that's the same i gave temple of doom which i think is a heavily flawed movie too mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um because it's it's tough because to me you've got two perfect indiana jones films and two very flawed but still good indiana yeah, jones films. Yeah. so i'll actually defend crystal skull a little bit i'm not saying it's i mean it's definitely the worst of the indiana jones yeah that's for sure i mean <laughs> i was happy to be back in that world and with that character it's just what they brought the character yeah. to do and yeah i got you i got you um if i had to go worst i mean mm, i know where you're if, going i think even well hold on hold on even as <laughs> a let's see how old was i let's see. Um, 97 i would have been what let's see 
born in 82. Uh, 25 years ago oh, from okay. now. Oh, that's more confusing. I'm not oh. a math teacher. Uh, let's see. Uh, 92, I was 10, so 3, 4, 5, 6. Oh, that's 15. Okay. Okay. So even as a 15-year-old, uh, the Lost World Jurassic Park smelled like a rush-together money grab. Yeah, um, it sure did. Now, now, still visually interesting because it's Spielberg. Mm-hmm. He does some amazing stuff. The cornfield scene or whatever the hell, the high weed scene or whatever. Oh, yeah, it's a good scene. All the push. And the, and the intro with the girl on the beach is is incredible. Uh, and and the last, I do remember enjoying the, the sequence of the... The San Diego stuff. Loose in San yeah. Diego. Yeah. There's some uh, Godzilla vibes there that's fun. Yeah. I, but I overall, I think it's a terrible film. Uh I gave that one and a half, but I mean, if we're going off of pure rankings, mm-hmm. um, this film, um, I simply reviewed as I simply said, this film is a war crime is my, my full <laughs> review on letterbox. Okay. I, I, I think it is truly the only actually bad film. Okay. He's made like there are salvageable pieces of lost world even though I gave it one and a half, there are still moments of Spielbergness, yeah. and visual artistry that saves it a little bit. Yeah. To me, Re- ready player one is indeed a war crime. I think it is. Okay. I think he got Zemeckis syndrome and mm. went and went nuts on the technology. Um, yeah. Like at some point, Bob Zemeckis was just like, yeah, I'm only going to make uh that's true. I'm only, only going to make these. Um, what do you call them? What the, the hell are they even called? Performance capture, yeah. Performance capture films. And it was like, okay, you can stop now. And he's like, no, I'll make three more. <laughs> um, yeah. This is, I think he almost embraced that mentality where he's like, you know what? CGI is so good now. I'm going to make this. And I find it visually, inc- almost visually incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. I find it. So I'll say it's the exception, not the rule in okay. terms of his visual stuff. I don't think he, I don't think he phoned it in. I just think it's awful. Like, sure. I just, um, I think that the acting is terrible. I mean, the, I think the book is terrible to begin with also. So, yes. but no, I, I think ready player one is by far the worst thing he's ever done. I, and I, I struggle to find anything of value. Uh, in I, it. Whereas anything yeah. else, anything else, close encounters, which I don't little, like yeah. close mm-hmm. encounters. I don't like, um, I'm trying to think of I mean cuz we talk about, you know, sure. not taking risks, but I mean the no, post but like, the post is fine, Bridges yeah, is yeah. fine, Lincoln is fine, Tintin yeah. is fine, Where the World is just, fine. It's like, hard to find less than fine until you yeah. get to where you're getting to. And for me, it, yeah, it was the BFG where I think I, I now I look at it I did give it two stars cuz I'm like, well, it's still Spielberg. So I I will yeah. I will give an honorable or dishonorable mention. Uh, and only because of the score of the film, okay, um, is the color purple. Um, Ooh, okay. I think you have a very well. You have a superbly acted film, okay, and it is visually beautiful in terms of production design and cinematography and everything like that. But I have rarely seen a film whose musical score completely undermines mm. every emotional impact that the story is going for. Now don't get me wrong, the the story is so good that even at the end I was still crying. Sure. But, you know, when the sisters finally reunite, but there are so many moments that it is I mean, John Williams could be he didn't do the music for it. So, no, this, jo- is, don't, like, don't, 
Dave Grushin uh, or something, right? No, it was um, what's his name? Uh, where is it? Sorry, uh, Quincy Jones. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, huh? Um, I don't know. Please forgive my ignorance on it. I know obviously he's a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, did he? He's kind of that post Motown jazz like he's, icon. He's he like a mega a producer. Of... He's like Jay Z today, where he does right, more did, producing did than mean... performing. I mean, he's got a lot of big credits here, but I'm assuming it was music. I, oh yeah, I, I he's in because music icon. Yeah, color purple. I mean, he didn't do the score for the Heat of the Night, right? Or the Italian no. Job, or In Cold Blood, or the Getaway. No, or, like Quincy was, Jones. He did like, did he do Shaft? Like no, he might be like of that funk R and B level stuff from so, then. So, so I'm assuming most of the credits he's getting here is for music like actual songs and stuff but the yes. color purple the color purple is hands down to me okay the, the worst film score i've ever heard and mm. it almost undermines that picture completely like it undermines music, everything spielberg is yeah. doing and as much as music can make a film and, and take it to another level it can break it too and it's rare but it happens yeah it's it's rare and i've never seen it as poorly done as color purple so not Spielberg's. Well, it's kind of is. He's the director. He put the music in there. I but, agree. Yeah. He but uh, there and do that. It, it is still a three and a half star film for me. It's a great film. It's just that, like, if I could watch it without the music track, I'd probably, <laughs> sure. I probably it would probably be a four and a half. So that's kind of my dishonorable mention. It's not okay. really the film's fault. It's more the score, but whatever. Yeah. Um. Closing thought. I for me, like I said before, he's. It's I'm I'm not a Stanley Kubrick guy, but I respect what he is. Where yeah. to me, it, it it's Kubrick, Spielberg, Hitchcock, and then throw in a fourth director as your Mount Rushmore, and that fourth director to me, on, on a, if I'm going a populist day, I'm doing mm. James Cameron. If I'm doing a sure. an auteur day, I'm doing Kurosawa. If I'm doing a American slice of everything, maybe it's you know Ford or Weiler, Wilder, you know, but. He is to me a guaranteed place at the top of history. And you know, he's still ticking. Um, yeah, can't wait to has, see what he does next. He has a according to Variety here, a semi autobiographical drama called The Fablemans. Oh yeah, about is, his own upbringing of filmdom, right? Yeah, I think it is. It's yeah. here it's loosely based on the filmmaker's childhood. It's coming out in November. Oh, this um, year. Here we go. Yeah, so it's November. Uh, it says here it's currently slated to premiere on the same day as an untitled Disney project and two weeks after Black Panther Wakanda Forever. So Ah, uh, I see. Thanksgiving weekend. So, ooh, tough place it says to be. It, it says it um, takes place in Arizona, where I go. live currently, and he actually went to Arcadia High School down the street from me. Uh, where Spielberg spent his formative years and stars Michelle Williams, Seth Rogen, Paul Dano, and newcomer Gabriel LaBelle. Mm. Plot details have been kept under wraps with the Fablemans. It's said to dramatize the developmental experiences of a movie lover who eventually became the most commercially successful director in modern times. So interesting take for a 75-year-old, but I mean, no one else yeah. would do it, I guess. I mean, No, until the guy dies. Who's If you can tell your autobiography instead of someone else telling your biography... Hey, have at it. I mean, and yeah. that's the thing. Like, if there's anybody who has, who does probably uh, deserves a strong word, but like, if there's anyone who's earned or deserved carte blanche, we're like, Stephen, you can make anything you want. 
it's it's yep. Steven Spielberg. Like Scorsese, as we can see, still has to beg hat in hand for his fancy art projects. And Coppola's retired and sort of. I mean, yeah. And Nolan, I mean, Nolan's Nolan. He'll get a paycheck anytime that he wants to make something. But Spielberg, he'll get the paycheck. That doesn't mean he'll get the looks. Where Spielberg is at that point where, yep, make anything you want, buddy. We're happy you're here. I guess Eastwood is the last guy who's like, you know what? I'm just going to make my movies till I'm done. And maybe he's what reaching a, an Eastwood. <laughs> yeah, I know. Cause he's North of 90. Cause but I maybe... thought he was dead in cry macho. Like I, I literally <laughs> thought they were animating his corpse. Like, I was well, that's, like... <laughs> that's my hope for Steven is that he could continue to age gracefully and with wonder, you know, because sure. if not, I don't want to see him turn into Eastwood too. Well, I mean, think about it i mean he's 75 years old and he just directed his first musical i know i mean like that's yeah incredible like that's yeah. just i mean when you think about it it's incredible like so mm -hmm. uh and i know our 25 yl crowd is excited because i believe david lynch is making an appearance as an actor i see that on the credit so, list here yep cool so that has been exciting a lot of people and what a way to talk about two different uh, ranges of guys right there, Spielberg mm -hmm. and Lynch, you know? Yeah. But um, anyways, yeah, let's... Uh, no, I think we can agree Mount Rushmore. Um, mm -hmm. Probably one of the greatest of all time. I don't think it's... I think it was, like, square to like him for a while, like maybe in the 2000s yeah. or something, but sure. you know what? Fuck it. Who cares? Film history. Uh, also, if you want to learn a lot about Spielberg, even though it ignores some of his flops like 1941, uh, watch the HBO documentary Spielberg. It's like three hours. It's fantastic. Cool. Uh, anyways, okay. So that is enough from us. Follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit and on Facebook at Cinephile His Fit Podcast. Also, find us both on Letterboxd. Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Uh, Cinephile Hissy Fit is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes, the new banana meter, and have become charter members of the new, unless you're listening to this in 2030, <laughs> Independent Film Critics of American Group. If you enjoyed this show, wouldn't that be cool if we were around till 2030 at least? I, I think uh, we got, I like our chances, man. Yeah, I do too. Uh, the MCU is going to be around until at least 2032. <laughs> you're not to kidding. Kevin yeah. Feige, so... Uh, whatever. If you enjoyed this show, Ruminations Radio Network has more where that came from with wonderful programs and interesting hosts. Our show and others are available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find...